episode 29, Salim Kizarali from Stella Technology talks about the technology of collaboration. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Today, I'm speaking with Salim Kizarali from Stella Technology. Salim is one of the co-founders of Stella, and their mission is to really build the next generation clinical tools, which are going to help healthcare organizations collaborate together more effectively. The Stella solutions are creative as well as based on real provider needs. I will let Salim explain what that means. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin Healthcom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Salim. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's jump right in here. You began to work at Axolotl right out of school. Axolotl, going back in the day here, was one of the very first really big health information exchanges. Can you talk about, you know, what, what's the story there? How'd that go down? Axolotl really started by solving the problem of enabling a group of physicians to collaborate better, way before even the term HIE uh, even existed. So, you know, it allowed a group of physicians to receive results electronically, make referrals between them electronically, send secure messages between each other. So, in, you know, in many ways, it mimicked the way they were going about the business of providing care on paper and, and via faxes and so forth in the technology, the actual technology essentially allowed them to, you know, eliminate those, save a lot of time from an administrative standpoint, work better, you know, between them. So I think that is really interesting to consider that Axolotl arose out of a provider need. In other words, the providers had a need and Axolotl stepped up to fill that need. I guess I had always kind of thought that it may have happened the other way, whereas, you know, someone over at Axolotl had this great idea, oh, we're going to provide this to the marketplace. But that doesn't sound like what it's how it happened. No, no, not at all. In fact, you know, the uh, I would say the Axolotl solution really saw the day it was sort of a, you know a physician from the the medical director of the of that group essentially was part of the team that started Axolotl so he was almost a in many ways a, a solution made by doctors for doctors at least only initially and that's kind of interesting to think about today as the number of HIEs proliferates that it is a solution that was actually made by providers in order to solve their own problems initially. I look at it as it sort of became an HIE solution after the fact. Uh, it was, you know, in many ways, uh, kind of like a Microsoft Exchange email platform, but made for healthcare specifically and for healthcare workflows. Again, back to this idea of really enabling better collaboration and better communication between the physicians in the medical group. And in case anybody doesn't know, 
they're probably thinking axolotl sounds like a really weird name. And honestly, it kind of is. But <laughs> can you <laughs> can you explain what the etymology is of, of it? Axolotl, the name of the company was initially the code name that became the name of the company. But it is actually a an animal or a salamander, uh, to be precise, a Mexican salamander. Uh, one of its unique properties is the ability to regenerate its limbs in case it, you know, it loses uh, one. That's a nice talent to have. <laughs> so winding back the clock here, you know, talking about Axolotl, which was eventually purchased by Optum. And since its day, the industry has really turned over and evolved and the Affordable Care Act happened and, and things are very different now. Could you explain in today's world, if we are talking about HIEs or health information exchanges, what does the industry look like right now? Sure. So today, what, what an HIE really does is bringing together a, a large array of healthcare information, healthcare records of, of, about patients together in a single place. And, and those records include lab results, medications, allergies, conditions, uh, various reports uh, that are generated by you know, hospitals, uh, your doctors, your specialists that are, again, providing you the care that, that you need. So it brings together information and clinical records from a, a variety of disparate systems. And the idea is to provide a complete, timely, and accurate record of the patient's health over a long period of time. And that really in order to provide comprehensive patient care, in order to provide collaborative care, in, in order to really engage with the patient, that's obviously incredibly critical. Absolutely. So, you know, if we take the example of patient John, uh, who is, say, he's, he's just a very simple example, he's referred to the orthopedist by the family physician for uh, follow-up care, for example. And uh, in a normal, in many communities where there wouldn't be an HIE, the orthopedist typically wouldn't have any information on, on John because it's the first time that John is going to the orthopedist. Uh, he may need some x-rays. He may need to look at what are the medications John is having. And, you know, the primary care physician may send a summary of that record to the orthopedist uh, along with the referral. But because both the family physician and the orthopedist are in the HIE. As soon as John arrives at the orthopedist, his complete history, x-rays, labs, meds, anything else that the orthopedist needs to provide the right amount of care is right there, is already there, is already available. And he doesn't need to call anybody. He doesn't need to order duplicative tests, no duplicative x-rays or anything like that. If it's already been done, it's already available. And if we're speaking of a pay-for-value type of arrangement or even a bundled care type of arrangement, that kind of information is going to be absolutely critical. Absolutely. The ability to have timely information, complete information, the ability to for the system to become more efficient, there's a huge portion of our healthcare costs that comes from fragmentation and duplication. So that HIEs really provide the hold the promise of significantly contributing in, in solving that problem. What do you think the timeline would be 
for HIEs to share information with one another. In other words, you know, in today's marketplace, typically an HIE is run by and owned by a particular healthcare entity. But there's some difficulty in making sure that healthcare entity A shares its data with healthcare entity B. What do you think the timeline is on that? There's been for for a number of years an initiative at the at the national level to essentially build an infrastructure or a network, a nationwide network that will connect you know various HIEs that that are in existence. And and, and as you mentioned, there's there's actually a variety of HIEs out there, statewide HIEs, community HIEs that are run by nonprofit organizations and are typically regional HIEs. And then you have private HIEs, such as those that are run by either health systems or hospitals uh, or even payers. So what we're, you know, the vision, and there's been a lot of work uh, done by, uh, it was started by the Office of National Coordinator, today being continued by an organization called Healthy Way, uh, that is essentially building a nationwide network that will connect all of the HIEs, uh, regional, statewide, private HIEs that exist in each uh, in each state. Do you think that it matters that patient information might be held in multiple HIEs? Does that really make a difference that there's this overlap? No, but the uh, and, and the fact of the matter is information will exist in multiple places, right? Uh, just the nature of our healthcare system, whether it's in multiple HIEs or multiple systems within uh, a health system or multiple systems within an HIE, it, it will exist, uh, uh, you know, everywhere. The the fact is that you know, but if the, the first challenge we need to solve is connecting the dots and and laying out the infrastructure. Uh, and uh, laying out the 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 freeway, so to speak, to allow access to 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 that data, and um, sort of the the ability to then sort of consolidate and clean up and deduplicate data is sort of the next step. And there's been a number of projects and initiatives and technology already exist, uh, you know, to be you know to be able to do that. A number of you HIE experts from Axolotl, after its purchase, went and started your current company, which is Stella Technologies, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. I understand that besides custom programming, you Stella Technologies offers three products. Could you could you talk about them a little bit? Absolutely. Really, Stella has been focused since its inception in 2012, been focused on the mission to really build sort of the next generation, uh, what we call a healthcare connected network that will give payers and providers and healthcare stakeholders access to meaningful data such that informed decisions can be made at the right place at the right time. And more, most importantly, in a fully collaborative and coordinated fashion. That sounds like a long-winded elevator pitch, but truly mean that in, in, in the sense that every of uh, the three products that I'm going to mention shortly here really revolve around that single focus to provide a connected network that allows, one, access to, to meaningful data, actionable data, and two, that allows healthcare stakeholders 
to really work together in a collaborative fashion. So those three products are, the first one is what we call the integration toolkit. Uh, it's, it's a product we're still working on, but essentially it will be the tool that will bring all of these various systems and data from these various systems together in a very nimble and cost-effective fashion. Stakeholders can choose the pieces they want so that they don't have to buy components uh, or capabilities that they don't need. It's a modular integration product. The second one is a what we call a clinical staging database. It's essentially a repository that contains clean, normalized clinical data from various disparate systems. So you have the toolkit that collects that data uh, and the staging database is where the data stays for a variety of uses. And the last but not least is a product called Cardination uh, that truly enables, so once you have the data at your disposal, it allows a care team, team of caregivers uh, that includes family members and the physicians and the payers to really collaborate, communicate such that the right information is available in the right place at the right time as the patient moves through the uh, sometimes complicated uh, healthcare system. All right. So we've got three products here. The first one is this integration toolkit. The second is clinical staging database. And then the third is care donation. Correct. So the one thing I thought was interesting about the integration toolkit as I understand it from how, when we were talking about it before, is that it actually includes all of the different components of an HIE system. But what it enables a provider group to do is kind of a la carte exactly what they need, as opposed to having to purchase a whole HIE technology just to get that one missing piece. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. The vision is that there, and, and the reason we're not calling it an HIE toolkit, for example, is that it, it really, the aim, the goal of the toolkit is to really enable integration, data integration. The need for having data to organizations goes beyond just, you know, uh, an, you know what an HIE does today. They, everybody needs uh, the ability to collect and aggregate and consolidate data. And uh, whether it's a payer, whether it's health system, whether it's an HIE, whether it's a, even vendors, we've been working with solution providers themselves, they may have some pieces already in place. You know, for example, they may already have an MPI, but they may need a, an interface engine or they may need a provider directory. So we come in and say, okay, well, we'll leverage uh, your existing investment in your existing MPI, and we'll layer in the, the components and the modules that will augment that and uh, that will allow you to do the uh, types of integrations you're, you're looking for. So it, costs, it, it, it keeps costs low, it's very flexible, it, it's nimble, and it really allows them to get to what they need uh, very specifically. And I'm assuming that what it also does is integrate, which might be why you called it an integration toolkit. It integrates data sets from different sources so that everything plays nice together. Correct. The The goal for the toolkit is to be a really a universal healthcare integration toolkit and to get data not only from hospital information systems, 
EMR, electronic medical record systems, you know, lab information systems, but also uh, administrative, uh, what we call administrative and financial data in terms of claims, uh, claims information. And we, what we've been doing uh, a lot lately is get data from devices. So whether they're, you know, medical devices, wearable technologies, which, you know, is a whole new trend uh, that's only going to explode in the years to come. The toolkit really will allow an organization to address all of their uh, integration needs. That's actually very timely. I know there was a bunch of articles in various publications lately about the impact of wearables. And one of the major setbacks that had been cited was the inability to integrate the data which is spilling out of the wearables into some sort of digestible format, uh, which was integrated within the provider information networks or um, systems. Yes, and and uh, Stacy, I think we're only seeing you know the tip of the tip of the iceberg here, if I if so to speak, in terms of what that uh, what that is and means. There's a lot of conversations and discussions in the industry overall, and and quite frankly, a little bit of fear uh, as well in terms of what the the you know what that data means, and 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 specifically the the massive amount of data that will be generated as a result of having uh, you know the wearables and and other patient monitoring devices whether it's at home in a care setting uh, you know there there's everybody agrees that needs for solutions that can filter some of that data interpret that data so make some sense of it before a physician who's already inundated with loads and loads of data to, you know, to have something that they can act upon. And I think that's, for example, I I heard Eric Topol speak recently, and one of the things that he said was that given all these new technologies, patients will actually become much more involved in their own diagnosis than they ever have before. At the same time, once again, kind of citing this bevy of articles which have been all over the Twitter sphere lately, mm-hmm. it was said that doctors were being asked, there was some survey that was done, doctors were asked how many patients had asked to upload the data from their wearables into their EHR system. In other words, how many patients were concerned about getting their you know, wearable data into provider EHRs? And the consensus was, very few. But I kind of disagreed with the conclusions that were reached based on that statistical finding. I kind of believe that the reasons why patients aren't asking is because they don't feel like the provider will do anything with the information or find it valuable. Right. And and I think there's still, there, there's only traditionally been, you know, a little bit of resistance on, on the provider community side to really trust, you know, the data coming from the patients. And, you know, typically the data that you'll see in their EMR systems is data that either the providers have generated or generated by systems that are part of the provider uh, sort of ecosystem. But obviously, I don't have a crystal ball, but certainly 
I predict that things will change, you know, quite significantly. As you mentioned, the talk from Eric Topol, I was pretty compelling in terms of you hear him talk and, and demonstrate how healthcare will, will shift from, will increasingly be conducted at home. It's pretty compelling to see that, uh, obviously, the, the whole model is changing. And I bet the Stella Technologies team was, was sitting in the audience feeling good that you have, you're ahead of the curve and have developed a technology which can help facilitate that change. We hope so. All right. So let's move on to product number two, which is this clinical staging database, which, as you said, is a, is a warehouse repository that contains clean and normalized clinical data, which has been pulled from HIE systems or, or EHR systems so that analytics are possible. Why would a provider or, you know, can you give an example of how that system might have been used or is commonly used? Sure. The name, the reason why there's a staging in the name is that we intentionally sort of designed the product to be versatile in terms of how organizations might want to use it. Uh, the, the goal is to make the data available to a provider, to a, a HIE, to whatever organization using it, because you'll be surprised or, or perhaps not that it's still in this day and age just simply having access to that data is a huge, huge, huge challenge. So just by, by unlocking the data that organizations have in their various systems and making the openly available to them to do what they want has been a huge benefit of the staging database, which, uh, you know, as, as I call it, it it's, it's a bit of a salesperson's dream. It sells itself because of that very pain point that it solves in terms of access to data. But to talk about a very specific use case, a couple of our clients that are using it are using the staging database to conduct what I call the population health management initiative. So because it has all of the data aggregated contained in it, an HIE or a health system or a, an accountable care organization can conduct either care or disease management initiatives or even analytics around, for instance, identifying uh, the population of diabetic patients that are in their community so that they can get a handle on, the, uh, on their care before it gets worse. Because as you know, with chronic conditions and others with, with any health problem, you have, the more proactive you are in addressing that health problem uh, and that uh, chronic condition such as diabetes, the, the better it is. And so by taking action, proactive action earlier, it saves essentially millions, uh, millions of dollars. Uh, in, in It represents millions of dollars in savings. So basically what you're talking about there is say there is any given system of care. And of course, like every single system of care, maybe they have acquired or merged a bunch of different provider groups under one umbrella. So they're dealing with, I was actually talking with someone who worked at an IPA that had over 30 EHR systems, you know, that they're not very, uncommon that their practices were using. So there's 30 EHR systems with 30 discrete data sets. There's a couple of hospitals that maybe they're both using Epic, but of course the data is not merged. And then there's a patient who is 
bouncing between obviously ambulatory practices and then the hospital and they've got data sprinkled all over the place. So effectively what this clinical staging database is doing is taking all those various data points and pulling them together into one comprehensive, would you call it a medical record or a PHI? Uh, or a repository, a clinical data repository, essentially. But that. basically all of one patient's, all of a particular patient's information is in one place. Correct. Uh, as well as other patients in that particular health system or community or physician group or what have you. It kind of functions in, in a little bit of a way like a, a universal registry. <laughs> Would that be a way to describe it? Depends how you define registry. There's there's different uh, sort of definitions for that. But yes, it's it essentially a, a place where all of the data, not only about single patient, but a, a, an entire community of patients can reside. It opens up many opportunities to, you know, in terms of you know, analyzing the data, providing proactive care, providing many, many care improvement and quality initiatives that offers because you now have access to a consolidated set of data. You, you have the complete picture of our patient, John, that we mentioned earlier into a single place. You're not missing any information on John, who, by the way, has been to, you mentioned 30 different you know, EHR systems. They may be without the, the toolkit and the staging database, all of that data would still be in 30 different systems. Effectively, how is the clinical staging database different than an HIE, or is it an HIE? In many ways, it, it looks like an HIE. But again, I think what we uh, what we aim to emphasize here is that we believe what we're providing is more of a tool set and, and a toolkit that is uh, functions independently uh, from one another and really provides uh, the buyers. Uh, an organization to really just take the pieces that they are missing. The clinical staging database is sort of one of the tools in the integration toolkit. Is that? Yes, it will. Today it's offered as a standalone product, but as we make the integration toolkit available in the market in 2015, it will become a component of the toolkit. Again, all going towards that vision of creating a uh, healthcare connected network. Got it. So this is one of the links in that chain. Correct. Let's now move on to care donation, which is pretty cool. Can you just explain? I know you kind of gave the the top line about how it is a technology backbone, which is promoting care collaboration. But could you get into actually maybe give a, a, a use case? When is there an example of a customer that has used it successfully? Yes, there's there's uh, certainly a couple of examples of, of customers who you know who have used it. I'll take one of them that you know has also had some very tangible ROI and, and, and results. So let's go back to our patient John for a second. So earlier I discussed how John was referred to the orthopedist from his primary care physician, but let's blow that up a little bit. So before then. Say John has an incident, uh, an accident, and a diabetic, and uh, you know he has an ac- a car accident and is admitted to the hospital and stays at the hospital for three days, has surgery, and then discharged uh, from the hospital. 
He has a, for a few days later, has a follow-up with his primary care physician, who obviously then refers him to the orthopedist for physical therapy and, and, and so forth. So as you see here, and also, by the way, John being a diabetic patient, he's also uh, in a you know care management program where uh, there's a nurse uh, who is managing his health and calling him every few weeks and to make sure that John follows sort of the guidelines and the protocols and does his walks and make sure that he does his three months visits that he's required to do and so forth. So as you see here, there are just in, in this short little story, there are four or five different players and stakeholders. There's obviously John. There's the diabetes care manager, there's, there's the hospital, the primary care physician, and the orthopedist. And John, from the time he was in the hospital to, and then discharged to the primary care physician, and then sent to the orthopedist, and then all the while the care manager taking care of his chronic condition, as you can tell, it's a complicated workflow. And there's, there's, there's a lot that goes on in that as John transitions from one care setting or from one caregiver to, to another, there's a potential loss for, uh, for communication and for a proper coordination of John's care. This is how care coordination you know, is done today is typically it's the primary care physician who acts as the, say, the quarterback uh, between you know, all of the uh, care team the, that is involved in John's care. And so what coordination does is making sure that as John transitions from in the system from one doctor to another, from one from the hospital to his home to the clinic, etc., there is a th that communication gap, that the information about John's whereabouts, what's happening, who's doing what to John, is uh, there, there's no gaps in that continuum of care. So that's what coordination does. It augments the data the longitudinal healthcare record that we talked about earlier that the toolkit and the staging database can provide uh, by and comp augments that by providing that communication continuum uh, as John moves from one setting to another. Okay, so let's take this from the perspective of, say, the PCP, who, as you said, is in a, the position of being the care quarterback. If I am the PCP... And my patient, John, the diabetic, just had a car accident or something. You know, what do I see from my end? Say everybody is uh, using a coordination or at least participating in, in uh, registered in, in the system as the care team for, for John. When an event happens to John and John is admitted to the hospital, uh, the primary care physician can be notified as the quarterback, as the main person assigned to, to follow John can be notified of that hospital admission, and so can the care manager can be notified of, uh, of that particular event. So, uh, you know, instead of knowing three days or five days later that John has had a medical incident, uh, is in the hospital, and we will need some follow-up care because he's got a broken ankle and that the surgery could further complicate his diabetes, for example, then the, the provider uh, and the care team uh, is instantly and proactively made aware 
of uh, what what has just happened to John. So what's the heart of Care Donation? Is it a dashboard, uh, you know, computer dashboard? Yes, it's it, it's a dashboard, but uh, Care Donation also leverages communication technologies like email, text messaging, uh, automated phone calls, uh, and so forth, even fax, such that as long as somebody is on a team for a patient that they're following, you can get notified without having to, you know, use the, the, the system or log on to the dashboard. I'm getting the idea that, all right, patient John or any patient is the center of this of this universe. So what would happen would be a patient or say a set of patients would be identified and then each one of that individual's care team would be identified and assigned a role. Is that Kind of how this works, correct? Yeah, and, and, and so it, it it follows kind of like the many of the some of the concepts that are used in social media. So it, it's sort of like the the Twitter model, where if you follow me and I follow you, uh, anything you do, I can be made aware of, or I I am notified about, or however I want to be notified. So caregivers, whether it's a care manager, the PCP, even a family member can be part, can put themselves on what we call teams. Uh, and so when you put yourself on a team, that team will follow a set of patients. And so as soon as things happen to those patients, you can either, you know, choose to be notified or, you know, you may choose to log into the application periodically to see what's happening. It's it's up to you. And it sounds like what the, would you call it an application or... Yes, it, it's an application. We also call it platform just because it, it, it really sort of is, uh, the core of it is, is, is a communication platform. Got it. And it sounds like it accommodates team fluidity. In other words, I might be with you on one particular team, but with somebody else on another another team. So by us identifying which patients that we follow, it would... The, the system would then figure out what our role is given any individual team. I said that badly, but do you know what I mean? You 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 hit the the nail on its head perfectly well. So essentially, the whole idea is that teams and people and roles are very dynamic things in in a real world healthcare setting. So as changes occur in terms of patient going from one place to another, as care teams changing, as, as the shifts uh, occur, you know, within, say, a hospital and the, the whole team changes and so on and so forth, it's constantly in motion. And so having a single person like a primary care physician or a care manager or a family member keep track of, okay, where's the doctor, Who, who's the assigned uh, a uh, radiologist right now and and where is John now and uh, you know what 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 is the last thing that the care manager did to him instead of having people keeping track of that and and remember that the tool does that for you so that burden and that responsibility is off of the caregiver's uh, shoulders uh, all the, the the caregiver has to do is log into the system or subscribe to be part of a particular team, and the tool will will inform them immediately. Well, considering that one of the things that is most complained about relative to 
technology in general, but specifically health information technology is its rigidity, its inability to adapt to very fluid and dynamic circumstances without a whole lot of jiggering. That's my technical jargon. (laughs) It's exciting to see that there are technologies like Keratination, which are being developed, that are able to roll with it, if you will. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, It really aims at tackling that whole vastly dynamic nature of, and really in a way, multiplayer fragmented nature of our healthcare system. It tries to kind of bring all of that together in a single place. And so that, again, you know, there, there, there are studies that show that sentinel errors, you may have heard of sentinel errors in, in, a, in a hospital that are essentially preventable errors that occur can be prevented and cause millions of dollars every year just because somebody forgot to tell someone else about what they did to the patient, for example. So having this coordination, keep track of all that, it translates into a lot of not only money, but a lot of saved lives, literally. What advice would you give to someone who understands that they really need to improve the collaboration of a care team? And they've cleared a couple of hours in their calendar to start thinking about how to go about doing that. How would they start? What, What advice would you give them? I would say two things, and, and this is based on our sort of own experience, and, and folks may, may have their own experiences, but really what we've seen over the last 17 years uh, we've been in, in the business, and, and you know, obviously the healthcare model is drastically changing. I mean, the change that the industry has been going through in just in the last five years alone has been We've never seen anything like this before. So that what that chain does is that people need to work better. They need to collaborate better. And in order to do that, uh, sharing of information is, is more than ever sort of necessary. It's To me, it's not a matter of if, but but it's a matter of when. If someone is in the business of providing care, I would even go as far as saying it's a matter of survival because, you know, without collaboration, without sharing information and sharing data with those who perhaps used to be your competitors in times past, it's a matter of knowing whether uh, your organization can still be around and can still compete in in the new healthcare market, so I would I would get started with that as soon as possible. But the other thing I want to say is is obviously technology is there and is available and can help, but it 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 certainly cannot solve the problem on its own. With any technology initiative, really collaboration, especially collaboration, requires people to work together and have the right processes in place for it to work well. So. A combination of technology, people, and process is one is what one needs to to make collaboration very successful. I thank you so much for being on the program today, Salim. I certainly have learned a lot, and it is always a pleasure to speak with you. Stacy, thank you for having me. Links to everything discussed during the episode today can be found at relentlesshealthvalue.com. 
I'll tell you the other thing that you will find at RelentlessHealthValue.com, and that is a way to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe, the cool thing is that you don't have to remember to go to the website every week to download the new episode. It will automatically be sent to you in one of two ways. The first way is you can type in your email address in the, there's a, a sidebar on the right hand side of the website where you will find a place that you could type in your email address and then you will get an email once a week with a, a link to download the episode. So that's one way to go. The second is also in that same right hand sidebar on the Relentless Health Value website, you will find a large orange dot. If you click on that dot, then you'll get taken to a place where you can click on the subscribe button in iTunes. If you click on that, then each week your iTunes will automatically download the episode, which you could choose to listen to on your computer or on the podcast app on your mobile phone. If you enjoyed this episode, please, I beg you, uh, it would be really, really helpful if you would rate and review the show either on iTunes or interact with us on Twitter. Our uh, Twitter handle is Relentless with only one S, health. So Relentless with only one S, health. I would love to hear from you. It, we would find it very inspiring over here at the Relentless Health Value podcast. I thank you so much for tuning in and so much for spending the time with us. Thank you.